Let us not be ashamed to speak what we shame not to think. Michel de Montaigne In a realm abound with fragility and fabrication, truth is forced underground. We must, as sentinels do, provide sanctuary to the marketplace of ideas. And so, let us prepare to proclaim boldly and contend forthrightly before the court. This is Candor and Counter. Hey guys, welcome back to Candor and Counter. I'm Chris. I'm David. And I'm Sean. We wanted to give you a little heads up. This will be our last episode for this season. We're going to be signing off and we're going to be coming back in February for a new season. So just be checking out our Facebook for updates. And we got some some good stuff coming. We've got a sister podcast coming. And there's just a lot of new stuff in the works. We hope you have a great new year. If you're listening to this on the day it comes out, this is probably December 31st of 2020. Uh, 2021. I don't know where I was right there. <laughs> this coronavirus evaporated 2021 from my brain. But yeah. So we'll come back into your life again in February. So we're really, really glad you guys were around for 2021 and our first season. Yeah. We're excited yeah. for these next steps. We yeah. are. We are. And so there's going to be some changes coming forward. We hope you guys enjoy them as much as we do. And we're here to touch back on the topic of planned obsolescence, e-waste, and rights to repair. Right to repair. I'm glad you could call it off because, <laughs> man, I couldn't. I think it was technically out of order, but I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way to do that. <laughs> All of them were topics that we were supposed to talk about. Yeah, yeah. So last time we were together, we talked about all the things that we knew or thought we knew or understood about those three things and how they relate together and how they relate to us. And then we left and now we're back again and we're going to try to figure out if there's anything that's new that we didn't know that we might be able to share with our listeners. And this isn't one that's really tied to things that we believe. I mean, there are some elements to it that are like, do you believe we should make changes in this place or that place? But a lot less thinking and a lot more research. Yeah, it's not very philosophical, yeah. but you can definitely have opinions on it. I think, I mean, most people would probably have the same opinion. I agree with that. There was one thing that I read that was talking about how there are some arguments for limiting right to repair for owners. And I was surprised to see that at first. You know, when you say the right, headline, yeah. when you see the headline, you go, well, no, there isn't, you know, <laughs> yeah. that can't be right. You look at it and you're like, well, oh, okay. But then you, then you read into it and you discover that, okay, maybe there is a valid point, but maybe that doesn't mean that we should just sign over all of our rights right, to right, manufacturers, right. right? We say this every time, but somehow like it doesn't matter what you talk about. There's always this gray area, this weird, like. Okay, maybe in some instances kind of thing. Oh, yeah. In my opinion, that there are some black and white issues relating to morals and things like that. But when you come into the consumer space or you get into economics or you get into it's there's spectrums all over the place and you don't you don't see that anymore. Okay, so one of the things I came across as a reason that may be legitimate to limit an owner's right to repair. And one of those is protecting the company's intellectual liabilities. So sure. In certain releases, you know, like I don't know, I don't know patent law very well. I don't know copyright law. Like I don't know that stuff very well. So I'm a dunce when it comes to that. So I'm just going to say it. I, I guess that in some cases that would make sense. Like you have a new proprietary technology right and if it's too open yeah you don't want to just be giving blueprints away yeah you 
but I guess there is a difference there between like, well, we're not going to sell you parts versus, you know, so you can fix That's it. That's true. But there is it's, a, people are always going to take apart your product and look at the insides and mess around with it and right. see what its limitations are, see what it does, see what effect it has on the device. Like, sure, I can see some intellectual problem or into intellectual property problems, but either way, you're going to run into that problem. And if you That's run true. in, yeah. and if it's violated, like if somebody uses your property to reverse engineer something and then steals your technology, the system is set up to, for you to be able to like recoup yeah. your losses through that other company. Right. I, I mean, at least that's the basic understanding for me. If they happen to steal something and then they, in the market, you know, in the market share that they steal away from you, you can take that back yeah, through litigation by suing them. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess that, I mean, they can do damage. But I don't know. It's hard because no matter what, even if you restrict parts access and repair access, people are going to buy your product, take it apart, see how it ticks. Right. Whether or not you give whether, them yeah, whether permission or, or the tools to do yeah. so, people will take it apart and look at it and potentially reproduce it if they want. And even if they don't use the same parts to reproduce it, Right, they're going to see how it works, and they're going to say, "Oh, I can recreate it like this and make their own product." That's going to happen. Period. Whether you prevent people from repairing the <laughs> right. product, but giving giving the blueprints and all the tools for for tinkering would it affect that bottom line that much? What do you mean? Like outsource, like letting other people have access to it? Do they make money well, from the? Open source from keeping from keeping open the repairs closed. Do they gain money? Open source. Well, actually, Apple reported losses in their repair sector. Like they didn't make money. I don't know if that was their plan. You know, like I don't know if they thought we're going to make money. But like they they've reported mostly losses in being the sole repair really industry for their Apple products. (laughs) Then why would they be right? Uh, and that's, I think, probably part of their motivation for turning a corner, you know, as of recently and trying to open up more and more to the market and releasing. They're they're starting to do more and more. And yeah, it was like just last month they did like some self-service program they launched. Yeah, and, or and part of their limiting process was they wouldn't sell batteries and screens and all of that stuff to aftermarket you know, or individuals and you had to go through Apple to do it. And mm-hmm. now you can get those things and the procedures for replacing those things from Apple, but they're still holding their cards close to their chest and they're not releasing everything. It's just, yeah, like these sort I, of I think, yeah. yeah, I think the common like problems, the, yeah, screen yeah. battery and something else or something like that. And our conversation right now is sort of revolved around, Electronics, um, just because it's yeah. the easiest for everybody to wrap their head around. And it was in it was in it's, the topic submission. That's what I was yeah. It's yeah, also one of those like you you can get daily updates pretty frequently. Yeah, it's a, it it's, moves. It's a growing very, movement yeah. for sure, like very very rapidly. And the consumer electronics market is is just vast. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's booming. You know, you have a few car companies. <laughs> and then <laughs> right, you have, right. You know what I mean? It's like when you're trying to find examples. But another thing that you see with a possible reason that you might say, okay, well, this is something we're thinking about as in the realm of right to repair is sustainability and economics. So, I mean, if you have like a, like right next to me here on the wall is like a $200 TV. So I can, I can throw this $200 TV away versus fixing it. It doesn't do the company any good to make everything available so that some TV repair shop can fix this TV. Cause you can go buy and replace this TV for less than $300. So is there a reason to force companies into compliance with repair 
information. Oh, no. Is that an undue burden on yeah. manufacturers? I think, I mean, there's always a limit, right? Because you get, like we talked about last week with the light bulbs, there's a point at which you can run a company into the ground by forcing them to like over-regulate their right. Yeah. Like Apple was. Especially younger businesses, you can run them into the ground by forcing yeah. them on Apple can standards. survive that kind of thing. But, right. right. But you're saying if there's more of a startup type business, if they have to comply with the same regulation. Especially if it's with a new product. Right. That, like you, you have know, to develop all of these yeah. things. Yeah. Which costs money. <laughs> yeah. But you're specifically referring to like like repair procedures and tools and yeah. and and replacement part access and all of those things making all of that stuff available or maybe say this like we were talking about with this TV for example say the logic board goes out right and it's a $300 $200 TV but you place the burden on the company to continue to release and manufacture the replacement logic boards Right. Well, they don't need them anymore. The TV's long been outdated. Phased up, right. Yeah. It's a few years old, and in technology, it's just gone. So, all of this stuff still needs to be available to people. You know, I mean, but if you say there is no burden on the manufacturer to do that, then they don't have to. Right. And does that go for other right. things that are more complicated that that need replacement parts, like a car company? Some, you know. That was something I was going to mention, hmm. how closely planned obsolescence and right to repair are tied. Yeah. Yeah. And e-waste. Because it isn't, yeah. Because it, it isn't as, you know, as simple as like, uh, does the consumer have the right to repair? Why do companies do planned obsolescence? And then where the e-waste tie into the end of it? It isn't these three separate things. It's the uh, planned obsolescence into right to repair yeah. into e-waste. Yeah. It's part of a system that exists. And I, it's an economic system that revolves around manufactured goods. And I think all three of those are inherent to it. You know, I they're just attached at some level or another, you know. Yeah, when when we first started the topic, I don't know why it didn't click so quickly that they're it they aren't just like closely tied together. They're intrinsically tied yeah. together. There are pieces yeah. from each one that if it didn't exist, the next wouldn't. And I think our our listener who submitted the topic probably understood that. Yeah. It seems like it was submitted in a way that here are the three things it's very clearly they're all connected. Yeah. But realizing that all three of them were connected was pretty pivotal for me because I, once you understand that the companies are all aware of this too, this isn't like, Oh yeah. You know what I mean? They all understand this. There are costs involved and at every level, every, point that we're talking about, whether it comes uh, in the repair sector or whether it comes around in the replaceability, the planned obsolescence uh, side of their business, all of these are calculated by each company, especially the big major companies. Oh, yeah. They understand the long-term effects of all of their decisions and they're very well planned out. And then none of it is accidental because they are, they are, milking every, and I'm not saying that in an anti-capitalist way. Um, they have shareholders and they're, they're attempting to pull every cent from every section of the business that they can. And if that means, um, the consumers are okay with replacing this every two years, then that's, that's where they're going to push that line. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's the consumers are letting the line be set. And we, we've seen it be tested. I mean, we grew up during the age of when, like, uh, you know, touchscreen phones started and then they started growing. And we saw this, like, 
boom, right? And then we saw new phones start coming out very quickly, year after year after year, like a year in between, six months in between. And you slowly saw that gap get bigger until you saw it stabilize from like a year and a half to like three years, somewhere in there. You start to see like news of this new phone coming out or, uh, you know, a hidden release of mm-hmm. where they just release and they go, hey, here, we've released this new phone. Yeah, that leads well into us talking about planned obsolescence as a whole because of the different kinds there are. And that's one of them. And that's the the idea that you um, you need that new gadget, that you need the new model, that you need the most updated one, that you... I, I forgot what they call that. Do you remember what they call that? It was... Um, Consumerism? You're talking about when the... When a person feels like they they need the newest and greatest, latest and greatest. Okay. So that's actually called perceived obsolescence. Right. And that's where consumers oh, are made to yes. think that their product is no longer desirable. It's the, it's the consumer side. Of and that it's out of fashion. Yeah. It's the, it's the, not the fad side. I was going to say fad, but. The, there is a fad side. I mean, you get like, you know, seasonal clothing. Right. Yeah. Clothing is one of those things, too, that was uh, mentioned in some of the articles that I read. It's actually surprising that it would be, but when it comes to the lifetime of an item, mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- mm-hmm. clothing is one of those things that actually you can see a direct There's a, yeah. relationship to the person. Okay, well, it was not only is it the wrong season, uh, but it was last year and the fashion right. changed. And so you need to go buy the next fashion the next year. And it's very clear when you think about it. Yeah. Like that's a, <laughs> I have kids, that's right? One to one. They grow out of clothes anyway. So that's a, you're already going to buy new clothes. But as you see the fashions change and you realize, and grownups are doing it too. They look they're We're not <laughs> wearing, I'm not wearing the same type clothing I right. was, but I was the same size, you know, <laughs> And part of it is also the way that they're built with clothing that lets them, it enables them to spend less money on manufacturing and quality of their product. Yep. So if you make an inferior product and they only wear it for a season or two, you don't ever really know. Right. So if you, but if you can ship your manufacturing process overseas and make an inferior product and then you can make. Yeah. You save on money, save on money. Yeah. You increase your marketing for the new season. Like you you can do that because you save the money. It's, it's a cycle. Yeah. And it, and it just increases that consumerism demand, you know? Yeah. But I mean, the consumers are demanding it. It's just like, there's no real blame there. Right. I mean, the blame is on the consumer, but I mean, but like we couldn't, that's a global, that's like saying blame everyone that doesn't accomplish yeah. anything. <laughs> right. 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 And that's where I guess personal responsibility comes in. But as a consumer, I can tell you, I'm not going to be researching sustainable. Oh, right, 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 right. Sweatshirts. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So I don't know the answer to that question. I just, um, I, I tend to see we're, I mean, we're three guys in the room right now, but I bet that a woman's perspective here is probably a good bit. Oh, different. I'm sure. Uh, with their chain. Cause their fashions are just, they change so rapidly. I can't even keep up. I also wanted to reach it. Like it also reaches like vehicles, like car manufacturers. Oh yeah. Cause they make, you know, 30 more horsepower, 10 more horsepower. Yeah. Do you have the 2022? Right. Like yeah. these minor, minor changes, no large jump in any technology within yeah. other than like, Oh, you know, this one has the led headlights. Right. Yeah. Or like I got a monitor in the console instead of a uh, knobs for right. a radio. Yeah, which I can, that's an older one, but no, you're right. I mean, it the the changes feel bigger than they are. Yeah, I guess, and they have this. It feels the same way with phones as well. Yeah, that yeah, every 100%. year it's not that much. It's just like. Here's this one or two new selling points we have. Or this one more megapixel 
Yeah, two more yeah, this is this camera race yeah. that I don't understand yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is anybody like putting nope. spider eyes on the back of their phones? <laughs> 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 I mean, look, I like a good camera just like anybody else, but I just don't understand this. Like, the yeah. phone, you're not a phone camera is not a like DSLR, right? Like, it's not gonna be. Well, it never will be, but they are getting close. Yeah, yeah, but. You're right. It never, I mean, it's not an interchangeable right. camera and it'll never have the glass that a, a professional camera will. You're just not going to reach that point. So no. I don't understand really it either because I also don't take pictures. So I, I guess my, what I think when I see those, like, you know, the ads advertising these new phone cameras, it's like, who is this for? Yeah. Who uses their phone camera so yeah. much that, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess there are they're some like people. partnering with professional camera yeah, companies, right. and they're like, I, it's they, got a like a lens, like, and you're like, so it must, know, it must work. I don't love taking pictures, but like, I like capturing moments sometimes when it feels right, just because I like having memories. But I mean, you guys know I don't that need, I, like, I love photography. Yeah, um, and phones have come a long way, but. You know, as far as being able to make something that is beautiful with your phone, that's come a long way. You can do that. Yeah. I mean, it will never be a professional instrument. And it never should be. It does enable someone to take the photographs that they're making serious rather than seeming oh, okay, like, yeah. like an offhand phone pick. It does give them a semi-professional tool that they just always have with them. And that's a big deal. Like... I don't just carry my camera around everywhere. I carry it when I specifically plan to carry it. And so, but my phone is always there. So I understand the selling point, but at the same time, I don't understand, well, if you want this camera upgrade, well, you can spend another $800. Yeah. No, no, thank you. sir. (laughs) No, thank you, sir. I'll, I'll just get that model later. So, (laughs) Some other time. <laughs> this this is something that kind of crossed my mind. The price for when a phone releases, right? That price is the same all over the country, which uh, right. isn't a bad thing. Right. I mean, if you release something, it should be base this amount. However, the earnings for each state you're looking at are massively different. Yeah. And this isn't a one-to-one comparison, but you look at like, uh, real estate worth and you look at a million dollar house in like you're you know, talking LA about versus a comparison in, to the cost right. of living in that area. Yeah. You like a million dollar house in LA versus a million dollar house in Alabama where we live is drastically different. Right. We're talking about like a two bedroom, two bath house. When your average wage mansion. in an area is fifty five, sixty thousand dollars right. versus an area where it's twenty seven thousand dollars and you're still paying the same $800 for the phone, it's a different economic impact for the individual yeah. buying the phone. So the way we make, like, oh, yeah, like one more megapixel. Cool. <laughs> yeah. But that, they're that's, out here with... That's three months worth of ma- wages for me. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think that the benefit of the new products hit different depending on where you are. Yeah. And you won't see people spend the same, you know, Oh, hundred percent here versus there, uh, based on their economic needs. You'll, you'll, I mean, they, I'm sure they see those changes across the board, but when it comes to the replaceability of the product, I think this is just an opinion, but I think they've come to learn that, the hunk of glass and metal or plastic in your hand is not where they're making their money. And we've talked about this before. Oh yeah. They just want you on the product. Like they almost couldn't care very much if they make that much money on you buying the device. Yeah. It's never the one time purchase. Right. Microsoft did not make its money from you when you bought the console. Yeah. They but they made the money from you when you signed up for Xbox Live and you started buying games. I wonder if uh, cell phones sell at a loss. I doubt it. I don't think they go at a loss because no. manufacturing companies. Yeah, 
I almost guarantee right. Google doesn't own HTC. Right. right. You know what I mean? Right. I don't right. think they go at a loss, but what Google or Apple doesn't care about is whether they make money from yeah. the sale of the Android phone. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're just waiting on the subscriptions. Yeah. And I, I, it's just going that way in every area of life. And everyone is realizing, and we hit this on the last episode, not that it has everything to do with replaceability, but this idea of being programmed for what you need, you know, it's all fed by what we subscribe to. Mm -hmm. This plays a little bit into one of the types of planned obsolescence I read about, which was systemic obsolescence. And that is where the systems that are in place, like software updates or, or, or hardware maintenance or whatever, part of the system that supports the product that you use are altered, done away with, or, or changed, no longer offered updates or whatever. Like uh, you had an old PC that doesn't, that can't run windows 10. And well, now you can't get any software uh, oh, security yeah, yeah. patches for, you know, windows seven or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, you're left in the dust. The basically. Three, I think right now, right. Uh, iPhone 6s runs on like 8.4 i think and then iphone 3 runs on um 8.0 was its last update and it doesn't they don't plan on giving iphone 3 any more updates yeah this is really where where i don't know like what should be done well in a lot of cases there's not a lot you can do because new systems are built for new technologies that come up so you have 5g technology come up and you have a cell phone that runs on 3g and your network is left behind you can't really stop progress yeah there is they point, leave an I old mean, infrastructure behind yeah i mean there's a point where like but it's just being imagine if ford still made parts for like hand crank cars like you you're not gonna find them right and for good reason we've moved past that that point in time and you also don't expect a company to do something that's not profitable right, right. but this kind of thing is happening every year now so I, it's like i don't disagree yeah <laughs> but i, do, I, I don't I know don't you, you have to say is the cost high enough yeah the where you you put some kind of speed limit <laughs> on accelerated yeah, like, change and, i'm not saying it's fair yeah but I am saying, like, there is a point where you have to accept that enough progress has been made from that point that it should be obsolete. Right. Yeah. But yeah, that's a good point. I think consumers also just need to be aware at this point. The older disconnected generations are the ones that pay for this. I mean, it's your, you know, they don't they don't go into the store expecting to have to buy the new iPhone every year. They may have one now because their son or daughter talked them into it, or they sure. are somewhat literate in technology. And so they decide to jump in the game, but say when 4g gets left behind, I was just using those cause they're simple examples. When 4g gets left behind, there's going to be people who, I, I didn't know, like, this phone is still fine, you know? And they're going to want to, they're not going to understand it and they're not going to have seen it coming. And I just think that it's the consumer's responsibility to be aware of what's happening. That's true. You can't jump into a space and then expect it to always be catered to your comfort level. You know what I mean? And we talked about prevention of repair as right to repair. You know, we, and that's a, that's a little bit about planned obsolescence there. I mean, if you limit their ability to repair and bring something back into a, you know, a functioning level, they may just do away with it and then get another one. Yeah. You know, so it's not, it it turns something that possibly could be repaired into something that's going to be replaced. And there's one that we've mentioned before that sort of relates to the light bulbs, which is contrived durability. So that's just, you know, when you have 
you use materials that you know yeah, are yeah. going to be replaceable materials. Like they're just going to wear out whether it's plastics or a weaker material, weaker metal, you know, like in the light bulb, the filament, which I don't know. I don't know about the life of the light bulb now that we've gone over to LEDs, but I mean, even those have planned, I'm sure they're just going to fail because of the, yeah. the way they're manufactured. That's, that was one of those things like, I understand why the planned obsolescence exists for filament light bulbs, but I don't understand why did they didn't just make a better product and then charge more for it. Well, it's, I guess it was hard. Are you referring to the light bulbs, right? Yeah. I, I would think it's just hard to get people to pay for something they see as consumable. Okay, I follow. You would have to yeah, build and, up some kind yeah. of, and we've, you'd have to build up some kind of idea in the minds of people that, look, this is supposed to last last right, twenty like a years. lifetime light yeah. bulb. Yeah, I only had to. I bought this light light bulb, you know, back when my kids were born. <laughs> yeah, but people are used to seeing this facade put on too. You can label it. You can put it on the label like a twenty five year light bulb. Oh yeah, like, does that mean like anything? Anymore? World's best that, yeah. burger kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, does that do those words mean anything anymore? You know, and you may engineer one that really does, <laughs> and it costs five times as much as a regular light bulb, right? And it may last an actual twenty <laughs> years, guaranteed, or your money back. But none of those words mean anything anymore. At least they don't to me. Yeah, when I see them on a box, if it's like. 20 year lifetime. And then they'll put a little asterisk. Right. It's like, okay, bro, let me check your reviews yeah. real quick. Okay. Let me read your fine print. Cause yeah. you have to have fine print on a 25 year guarantee. <laughs> and then it'll, I mean, and then it'll say, you know, or your money back. Well, you got to mail the old one in and you got, yeah. Yeah. People don't <laughs> care anymore but like, because the convenience trumps. The, so often I'll just does. come get another light bulb yeah. sometime. I'll buy the cheap one. But I, it just like what if it did actually last, you know, we'll just say a smaller amount, like five, ten years, mm -hmm. fifteen years. Like, I feel like that at that point, eventually, like some people would buy it and they would start getting reviews and they'd be like, Oh, mine broke, and for sure they sent me two more, one yeah. more, just to make sure. And then, you know. I mean, I mean, I have light bulbs in my house now that have lasted five years. Yeah. I mean, it, that's not unheard of with LEDs anymore. But well, yeah, I, LEDs are a special case. I'm talking about filament specifically, right? Some uh, halogen bulbs. Is that what they're called? <laughs> Those halogen bulbs. I don't. I don't remember. I think so. Anyway, I also read about another type that surprised me that I didn't think about which was obsolescence by depletion. And what that is, is basically like, they just Oh, it. you need toner cartridges, but they don't make those oh. toner cartridges anymore. And, or maybe they just don't, you had to have this special kind of ink that they don't make anymore. Right. It's just the consumables that are required yeah, like um, you know, it re it requires a secondary market to yeah. support the item that you use. Like, uh, it's that's almost like prevention of repair. We're like, yeah, I would, yeah, where or part of the systemic, yeah, thing. we're like, uh, you know, you pay as much for like two or three of these ink cartridges, cost as much as the printer itself, and you have to buy them. You can't go refill them because these specific ink cartridges can't be refilled. Yeah. And some of the cartridges don't actually use all of their toner before they. That was something I read about too, is like they're programmed when they get to a certain level to just shut off. And, and it's to make sure the, that the print, what is actually printed stays is sharp. a quality and, yeah. print. But. But it also reduces. <laughs> yeah. 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 The amount of the amount that you get it's out of wasteful. the wasteful. Yeah. And it, it requires you to use more and more of their product. Yes. You know, you know, use it's like the, it's the light bulb going out early. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. using, you know, five, six of those ink yeah. cartridges, you've used actually like eight or nine yeah. because there's still ink left over in each of them. So I think that planned obsolescence is pretty multifaceted. Oh, yeah. And there's no one way to attack it. There's no one way to say, I'm not going to be a part of this market anymore because <laughs> you, yeah. it's an inescapable thing. Yep. And like with every... With every thing that you use or buy or consume, it it plays a role somewhere mm-hmm. in some place, and it's almost inescapable. So it's that's not me waving a white flag. Oh, but for sure, like last week, I, you know, it was. I didn't think how deeply rooted it was in literally every aspect of the market. Yeah, nowadays. in this consumer culture, right? So like. You know, doing the research, you see these things that are like, oh, your ink cartridges actually have more ink in them or uh, some of them can't be refilled for a specific reason because they make money off of it. I think that planning ahead is important here. If you have a directive in your head and you're just like, I'm going to not, I'm going to get out of this, this rat race, this, this planned failure of all of the things that I buy and you want to escape it. I think that that just, you're going to have to be very, very mindful of how you do it. If that's what you want to do. If you want a a washing machine, that's going to last a long, long time. You don't go buy a plastic one. You go buy one that's made of steel. It has a steel drum. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have a plastic gearbox in it. You just, you have to go and you have to care about everything that you're going to do because that means you're going to have to spend two or three times more on what you buy, but is it may last you 50 years. But your years, kids may own years. it. Right. And there are some things that you're going to give on and there's going to be some things that you, that are important to you. And you may say, I'm going to just, I'll have the latest iPhone every time and fine. Like you acknowledge. Yeah. What as, as long as you're It's aware. a conscious decision. Yeah. yeah. I think once you make it a conscious decision, that's one step closer to at least knowing where you are. So it once again brings us all the way back to e-waste. Yeah. Right. Which is the end result for most of these, these things. This is the part for me that I think that we can make the most progress on. Like a perceivable impact in, on a, on a, like this is where the people have on a global most, scale, right. the most power at this point in changing within the rights or parasite. Yeah. A lot of this is, is a power play between the consumer, the government and the, and the manufacturing companies and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But this, this in particular, this e-waste is, although all three of those players are still involved it is a much more mutually beneficial situation to tackle it. You know, it's not, they're not in direct competition with each other here. I, one thing that really surprised me is how much money is tied up in all of this, like in all of the consumer electronics that are passed off every year onto, you know, third world countries to recycle. I say third world countries, by the way, a lot of that stuff actually goes into China and, um, some third world countries, some Latin American countries and some South American countries and Southern Asian um, countries. But the economic impact of finding the technology, developing the technology to process these complex circuits, right? You have all of these raw materials that are still available. Also e-waste is growing at a rate right now like a 21% rate. Yeah. It's a little scary. And so that kind of compounding waste can really get out of hand quickly. So we do need to get a handle on it as a global economy. And we do need to take responsibility as uh, one of the wealthier economies that's doing most of the, of the waste dumping. So we talked about this last week because the, we're not directly connected to the dumping and we don't see it and it's hidden from us and yeah, the media shies away from it and that kind of thing. There's a tendency for us to be very disconnected from it. And 
I'm not one of those people that for all you dog lovers out there, uh, I'm very sorry if this hurts your feelings, but like, you know, the like muddy scraggly puppy on the ASPCA commercials that are like, we really need you to help and save this. I don't really care. A penny a day. <laughs> like you're not pulling my heartstrings at all. Okay. So I'm not moved by, I'm just generally not moved by like pleas for help. I don't yeah, know. Like that sounds really callous. Almost. Guilt trips. There you go. I mean, hit me with that large <clears throat> skill stuff. Yeah. I didn't want to sound like I don't care. I actually, I do care, but I don't like you telling me that I'm that a I sh- bad that person. That I should not, care. Yeah. 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 I guess what I'm trying to say is I find more, I get more out of understanding personal responsibility rather than charity. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So basically I, as a consumer, I told you last week, and I don't think that I kept this in the podcast, uh, probably because when I started to research, I realized how embarrassed I was of it. Uh, but every electronics I've ever owned, I've just thrown in the garbage can because what do you do? You throw it away. I didn't even understand the concept of these cell phone recycling centers, like at the, like, AT&T store or whatever. I was just like, this phone's worth nothing. Why would you, why would I even care? Right. Or CRT TVs like back in the day, yeah. mm-hmm. I would just throw them in the garbage. I don't even look, I should be arrested. Cathode ray tubes are dangerous. I, I should be arrested for how many TVs I've thrown in a drainage ditch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because I did not even, I was a kid, you know what I mean? And like they bust open and they're they have like seven pounds of lead in them. I was researching what? this and I was like, yeah, it says the standard CRT TV or monitor has like six or seven pounds of lead. But you know, I mean, this does point out a little bit of the benefit of the progress that we do make. You know, we don't make TVs with seven oh, pounds yeah, of lead yeah. in them anymore. You know, I'm not saying that throwing your LCD TV <laughs> and it ending up in some, scrap pile in Southeast Asia is a good thing, but I'm saying at least, at least there is some change, right? I mean, all the, all the fluorescent tubes at my, at my shop have been replaced with led. They're led strips. They're Mm. led tubes now. And so I don't have any of that anymore. And there are some systems that benefit from the progress that we make. But when I started examining my own habits, I was, embarrassed because there is a significant impact to the world and realizing that you are only a fraction of a percentage of that impact. Unfortunately, that's how humankind works. You'll always be a fraction of the percentage, Mm -hmm. right? But if everyone doesn't care about the fraction of their percentage, Nothing um, will change. Nothing will change. Yeah, yeah. And I don't classic. It's tough because all of you guys know me. I'm a I'm a conservative capitalist, okay? So like social not social, but like climate justice agendas bother me. And they bother me because they try to use political power to to force the agenda. And they also tie it up as a moral failing of, of a person who makes a different choice, right? So I'm leaving those out of the equation and I'm examining the situation as a personal responsibility. You see what I'm saying? I don't look at the, at the collective decision to tackling e-waste. I don't think that I don't, at least currently, I don't feel like that's a a governmental burden that belongs there. But I'm not saying that that is the way it should be either. Because I don't know exactly the scope of what the regulatory responsibility should be or shouldn't be. And that's probably a more complicated question than we could tackle well, today. Yeah, a- but- anytime we hit something that's like, oh, this thing could be government like government regulated you can't instantly you know even just with like 
especially just with like a week's worth of study, be like, okay, they should do this. Right. But my default position is always the let the market sort it out. Um, and, and then we can discuss regulation, like, <laughs> but I'm almost always in favor of deregulation. Um, because the market should bear its own responsibility. I don't think the cost should be spread out amongst others. I think that the industry should bear its own burden. Um, oh, okay. You think e-waste should end up in the manufacturer's hands? Uh, no, no, that's not what I meant. I actually, okay. So I guess e-waste is a little bit different, but no, I, I think e-waste should end up in the in the public's. Like it's in it's in the user's hands. The well, manufacturer doesn't right. have any choice as to where it ends up because ownership has been passed on to the consumer. So I think that it becomes our private responsibility. That's where I was getting to. And I have walked around all life, all my life, and ignored like every sign about e-waste or electronics recycling or. But it was never taught to me, like not in a clear and concise way. I mean, I understood. I mean, to be fair, it hasn't really been taught. But well, I guess we we've only learned in the South. We've only been taught in the South, where it's very conservative, very. So I mean, it's very possible it's being taught elsewhere. But oh yeah, maybe, but it's. We I mean, you don't see people talking about it. Like, there's... No one is just talking about it. I mean, it's being talked about more now because of rights to repair, but even... Even now, it's not brought up all the time when people are talking about it. More often... Well, I don't want to say more often. It isn't, but a lot of times, they don't even talk about... So, I was reading about how... How prevalent e-waste recycling is, and I think that generally... Speaking, different European countries and Asian countries in the United States are all different on this spectrum. But overall, only about 17% of, of e-waste that is discarded is ended up being recycled. And for me, with the amount of money that's tied up and available to be recycled, um, which I'll talk about in a minute, I think that, first of all, it's a missed opportunity because to simplify the process, they just ship it. It's just gone, right? Out of they don't even have to deal with it. Yeah. But secondly, the you know, the recycling industry calls a lot of things recycling that aren't recycling. And so when you complicate or you tarnish your own responsibility. Like if you are passed on, say you're a recycler and then you sell your, uh, e-waste, you sell your cargo loads of e-waste to Southeast China and you call it recycling and then they dump it on the ground and it all goes into their, right. You know, water table and their people are getting cancer and it's just, but you're still calling it recycling. That's not recycling. Like, so differentiating the between the two has to become uncomplicated and it needs to do it in a way where consumers are aware of it. There's no other way. Like if you, if you damage the process, people won't do it. You know, it doesn't do me any good to take my cell phone into a recycling center to save the local landfill. Uh, the, 0.7 0.7 grams of gold right, and other heavy metals or whatever that are in it, it, it doesn't, that decision does not weigh heavy because the alternative is it's just going to go into some, some Chinese marsh, you know? And so, yeah, the only benefit I, is some small hit of dopamine. Yeah. Yeah. You get a little bit of feel good, but the honest truth is, it's just not doing right. what you thought it was going to do. So, once you're aware of that fact, then you are also struggle with, well, if I want to do the right thing, then I have to make sure that I'm doing it the right way. Well, the more mental burden you put on the process, the less people are going to do it. Right. And so unless you figure out how to bring this thing down to an understandable level, 
like where it's a simple process and a process people can trust. I don't think that you'll be successful in getting people to do it. I was reading about mining, like, like recycling versus mining for new raw materials because, you know, there, there's all kinds of rare earth elements that are in electronics, sensitive electronics that are required to be hard mined from the ground in order to make the new cell phone that you want or the new car stereo or whatever. And that can be, uh, you know, rescued from an old, from old devices. I was reading about the circuit boards and, and the ores that are contained within them. And some of the stats that I saw were that like, there is 40, this seems like a broad range. So (laughs) forgive me here, but it's estimated that there's hundreds of times more gold in a metric ton of waste than there is metric tons of ore. No kidding. Yeah. Hundreds times more. I was, I was also wondering about that. If, or veins rather than just very in. And that's true real quick. Cause my cell phone's trying to die. You there is 30 to 40 times more copper in a ton of circuit boards than from the ore than from a metric ton of ore. And it takes 500 pounds of fossil fuels, 50 pounds of chemicals and 1.5 tons of water to manufacture one computer and one monitor. Right. And a lot of this is in the raw materials process. So if you can reduce the raw materials process by reusing the old products, then you a lot of the manufacturers, if they would, if they would orient them, their technology and research into how to do this, into how to process these materials and like say, for example, one of the main manufacturing companies, uh, of, of chips or, or circuit boards or whatever. Right. Say if they reorient their mining industry R and D budgets into recycling, I'm just spitballing. Right. Mm-hmm. And if they were to make a process where they could process mountains of this stuff, that's like over in China or whatever. And you could just, you could get every ounce of gold, every ounce of palladium, every bit of silver. And, and you could, you could get it all in the end and take it all out. And you know what that process would look like. I'm no engineer. I have no idea, (laughs) but I'm just saying if you could make this process work and if it were a hundred times, 50 times, even 20 times cheaper than mining ore, why would you not? Why would you not do that? Like, I I don't, I just don't know. I'm sure uh, it seems like it would be a complicated process though. I, I, I would like. imagine it would be, but it seems feasible, pretty feasible that you could turn a profit doing that. I read that there was 75 pounds of gold in a million cell phones. That's a lot of gold. Pounds, 75 pounds. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So learning how to process large quantities of that. I don't know. I don't know the limitations of that environment, but you would think that there is a mountain of resources available. There's a mountain of resources available and there are. Yeah. Here's money just sitting collecting dust you, over yeah, here. You feel like the profit margin. And it's be- also not only collecting dust, it's causing problems. Right. Like it's. Yeah. You this feel, is a, it you is a have big, a big badge of honor. Like if you were the one to. You feel like. That's true. The profit That's margin true. would be so high or the, at least the cost deduction would be so low to remanufacture these things that people would be all on it. The problem is, even if it costs them two years worth of profits, right? They'd be getting 50 years worth of it back. Right. In like a year and a half, two years after finishing the research. None of these companies though, like doing anything that drastic, like reinventing the wheel type stuff. Right. They, they just go with what, what'll sell and what works. But it's weird to see them keep being that way because because it's it seems like it could be so profitable and because 
you and know, we, the societal see, pressures are favorable to be sustainable and green. And yeah, that you know, too. it is an optimal time. And not to mention that we're, I mean, it's a non-renewable resource they're using for all this stuff in the first place. Right. So right. that was actually something I was going to mention was like, I can't wait to see what happens when the, when you run, when out, you run out of out, gold. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, it, it, there's plenty of it, but. At yeah. that point, it's going to be, become a crushing issue if nothing has been done yeah. about it. There are a lot of rare earth minerals, especially in uh, what lithium batteries, that now lithium batteries are like taking over the planet and yeah. we're just cleaning the planet out of. And they're getting really spare. And I, I don't know what that's going to mean for, I mean, like lithium batteries is probably a good example. I didn't research this, but the recycle... I didn't research this, but the recyclability of a lithium battery is going to be pretty important, I would think, because yeah. it's fueling the future, at least currently. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sure that some other technology will probably replace it, but that's currently where we are. And there are just trillions of them being manufactured. We we don't necessarily have any any bombs for you today. There isn't a big solution to all of this. There isn't a a one-way ticket to solving this problem. Looking for a step forward. Yeah. And as in a lot of other podcasts that we've got to, whether it has something to do with altruism or whether it has something to do with your consumerism, it's just going to be your own personal awareness and your own, what do you feel responsible for? You know, how important is it to you? Yeah, that is what it comes down to. So there's a lot of resources out there. There's tons of them on planned obsolescence. There's different organizations that help you understand it and what brands uh, stand where. And there's also lots of it uh, of information out there on e-waste and how to track what organizations and companies and uh, recyclers are responsible. And, and there's different different ways if you want to go and find out if the brands that you use or the stores that you use are, are part of the solution or part of the problem. And then you can decide if you, you know, if, if it's important enough to you, whether you want to be part of that solution too. So just, I mean, I'm not going to point you to any one particular place because there are a lot of different organizations in a lot of different fields, but you can go find what you're looking for if you really want to. Don't forget, though, it literally starts with you. Going to our Facebook page and looking <laughs> at each of our posts uh, having to do with the topics. Finding our sources there at Kenner Encounter Podcast on Facebook. And, of course, if you have a topic you want to submit to us, you can go to kinderencounter.com slash submit. Put it in that, you know, easy to fill out form there. Just anything we would love to talk about it. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, you wouldn't mind leaving us a review let us know how we're doing and if you're on our website you can go to the top the link at the top is a pod chaser site and it will let you review us there and let us know how we are doing but we're just super thankful that you guys came along for this ride and we hope you stick around because there are changes coming and uh we're ready to get re-engaged and take all the things that we learned this year and do Put it. them in the next season. Yeah, I think that we're going to be able to use a lot of the stuff that we picked up. You're going to find a revitalized Candor Encounter coming up in February. Yeah. All right, guys. It's been fun. It's been a good year. It has been. Yeah, we've loved it. I've loved it. I'm, I'm, this is one of my favorite things, and I can't wait to continue this. So just remember, we love you as a human being. So until next year. See you, Space Cowboy. Sorry, that snuck up on me.
And you passed it. <laughs> I'm going to stay strong. Give me years. Don't. It's your turn. All right. Don't yawn, son. Pardon. Oh, no. How no. dare you? And you just yawned again. How weak. <laughs> Sean's like, I held out for two minutes. <laughs> if you had just released early, wouldn't have been a problem. It felt good, though. <laughs>